So I invite you to pray with me this morning. So, so let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we gather together um, to continue to hear a word from you. Speak to our hearts that we uh, might hear your words of hope and affirmation um, and that we might embody your love and hope in the world. So we pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God. Amen. Amen. Well, we have this week a pause in sermon series. Uh, In part, it's because of timing of different things that we have going on. And we're going to be starting our, we just finished the Green Bible series, and we're going to be moving on to the Lord's Prayer next week, where we're going to be unfolding uh, the Lord's Prayer and each of the Sunday, or each of the kind of sections within it. We have a book in back if you want to purchase. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But the idea is that we're kind of in this in-between stage. And uh, today, one of the things I prefaced uh, before is that we're going to be talking about some stuff that's deep and some stuff that, you know, we want to be prepared for. Because today we're going to be talking about mental health. And specifically, a dear friend of mine reminded me that this month is Suicide Prevention Month. And when we go towards this and we go towards the Bible, we wonder, what does the Bible have to say about some of these common day problems that we face, Right? Like, what, 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 can the, what truth can the Bible have to us in this day? Our scripture reading today is amazing. I love it. You can read it from so many different angles. But you might be wondering, as I said, we're going to be talking about mental health and Jesus healing the paralytic. I'll get there. Just stick with me for a little bit. But the idea is, is that I believe that although the stories might seem distant and removed, they speak truth to us nonetheless, both about how we can care for ourselves, one another, and how God cares for us, and how God loves us. Because this story, you know, it has healing in it, and then Jesus, like, says your sins are forgiven, and there's so much going on that we don't connect to, because, you know, one, just who goes around saying your sins are forgiven, and then two, you know, we've never really seen someone just kind of, like, be blessed, and a paralytic gets up and walks, and everything's there. You know, these are are far-off miracles for us. But let me just unpack a little bit of what's going on in this story. You have, uh, in ancient Judaism or in antiquity time, someone who finds themselves as a paralytic would kind of be on the outskirts of society. They'd be the people that would be on the side of the road asking for money, and perhaps you had a friend who, you know, fell and had an accident, and it doesn't really matter if they were your friend at that point, because in ancient Judaism, there was this really, really strong impulse, not amongst everyone, but amongst a lot of people, that if you had some sort of illness or mental health issue, if there was something like clearly wrong with you on the outside, that meant that there was something spiritually wrong with you as well. And so if you were on the side of the road that was not only asking for money, it's not only that you were in need and everyone could see that, it was also you were unclean. And everyone would know that. That you couldn't be part of the community in ways that you want. So, like I said, this paralytic, we don't know the story behind the paralytic. But let's just imagine, like happens to many a youth these days, or not many of youth, and we know stories of just someone who's being an adolescent and, you know, jumps off a, a 
you know, cliff and didn't really think through all of the ramifications. And now they find themselves permanently disabled for the rest of their life. And there, who once was your friend and part of a community, now is kind of shunned and isolated from all the people that would be around him. And so here was his life, and we don't know how long it was, but what we do know about this story is he had some friends that cared enough to kind of leave behind those holiness laws that they knew to be true, or that a lot of people knew to be true. And so you have these four friends who heard about this guy named Jesus, who had come to town, and he had already started to do amazing things. This reading is from the Gospel of Mark, and each of the Gospels are just a little bit different, but the Gospel of Mark is like, boom, Jesus starts off in action, miracles, excitement. I mean, it's only 15 chapters for the whole thing, right? If you want to read a Gospel all the way through, read Mark. It's the shortest, and it's kind of the one that a lot of the other writers pulled from, but we can go there for a Bible study on a later date. The point being is that one of the first things that Jesus does is start getting these huge crowds in the Gospel of Mark. And so I just imagine, you know, you find out like, it's like Taylor Swift is coming to town, right? You know what I mean? Like, it's like the, everything is packed, but you can't get a hotel, you can't get into the building. I mean, like people know this guy, Jesus. That's the scene that Mark is trying to set up. And these four friends who I, I just like to imagine, like I said, it was like this adolescent that was just part of their friend group that had this tragic accident. And then now he's there. This is just my, it's total like, don't take away that Pastor Brian said that this is what happened to this paralytic in this. It's my imagination. That's the fun part about the Bible. Use your imagination. And so they hear Jesus is in town, and they heard that he can do these amazing things. And so they, they like, all come up, and they, like, take him. And he's probably like, guys, what are you doing? You're not supposed to be around me. And this, like, holy guy is in town. Like, other people are going to notice. All, like, the big wigs from the, the church and the synagogues are all here in town. Like, don't, you know? He knew and yet they're like, we don't care. We just, we want you to get to this guy named Jesus. And let's just see what happens. See what happens. And so they pick him up and it's got to be this bumpy ride. It's super awkward. Who knows how far they went, right? They didn't have a car. They didn't have wheelchairs. didn't have any of those things. And so there they are like, and then they get to the front door and they're like, oh, shoots. <laughs> it's full, right? If you want to know what was full, yesterday we had a wedding. That's what the, the flowers were for. So if things are a little disheveled, that's why. Because we had 400 people here in the sanctuary. It was a full wedding. Albert, who is a, one of our patriarchs of the Tongan congregation that worships here, his son Willie got married. As you can see the tapa back there. That's the, their congregation gave that to us. And so we had a, a full Tongan wedding yesterday. And it was packed. And if you showed up on time, you might have found a seat. But when the service started 45 minutes later, you, uh, you wouldn't have found a seat. You, know, you would come in and you'd be like, oh, standing room only in the back. Because that's what it was like yesterday. And so that was what these like, men came or were carrying Jesus. And it was like standing room only. And they're like, I, we got to. Like, we've already broken the rules. People have seen us do this. Like, we're going we're gonna to see this through and see what happens. So they do that, and somehow, like, one of them has this crazy idea, because, you know, they're probably, like, college age, in my mind, right? And they're like, hey, let's get on the roof. And let's, like, drop him down. Like, we can dig on the roof, and then we'll just, like, drop him down, because that sounds exactly what, like, a dorm life would be like, right? You know? Just drops them down in. So that's what they do. They get on the roof, and, like, standing room only, and then all of a sudden, you know, it has this, like, you know, twigs and like different like stuff like mud on the top of the roof and you just hear this like rat pawing and people like kind of like trying to hear it because you know, there's no microphones and all of a sudden like dust starts falling and it totally disrupts anything that's happening on in this space. 
And mind you, all the bigwigs are in the room, right? All the to-dos. And then all of a sudden, you got these four goofballs that are just like somehow lowering this man down in front of Jesus. And then there, there's like this paralytic right in the middle of the floor. And he's got to be super awkward, right? Not only because this is just an awkward experience, but also remember he knows something that I just explained to you. And what was that? He's unclean. And now his presence in this house has made everyone in this house unclean by being in that space. And so he's just kind of like, hey guys, right? Like, <laughs> not supposed to be here. And then Jesus says to him, super, like totally like outside of like our frame of mind, like your sins are forgiven. And we're like, okay, Jesus, like what, what do you even mean by your sins are forgiven? And to me, it's not about like Jesus knowing that this, thinking that this guy had done something wrong. I actually don't think that that's the case. I think that Jesus over and over again throughout the Gospels kind of pushes back on these purity laws because they create this stigma towards people that leaves people isolated, that leaves people marginalized and feeling alone. I mean, he does it over and over again in the ministry when the woman who's hemorrhaging for years, you know, touches Jesus and he stops. It doesn't chastise her for being an unclean woman that touches him, but like sits in that moment. He is with the lepers. He goes and is accused of being a drunkard because he's probably hanging out at the bars, with the sinners. Over and over again, he breaks these rules. And Jesus knew exactly who was in the room, all these like religious elites. And he knew exactly what everyone was thinking. Who do these people think they are making all of us unclean? And so he says the most important thing for that man and for all the people in this room, your sins are forgiven. Because when he says that, it means that the stigma that he carried was gone. He says that, and then now all of a sudden this isolation that even his friends couldn't be in community is gone, and he's able to come and be whole again with the community. You know, and, and later on he does, you know, what Jesus does, and he like heals the, the man, and the man stands up. But Jesus knew that the most important thing, though, was that stigma that he carried that like loomed over his head, that even if he were to get up and walk out of the room, he would carry it. Like, what did he do? There must have been something wrong with him. He must have like, you know, made those mistakes. And so, you know, here you have this story, and you might be remembering me say that. We're going to talk a little bit about mental health. But did you know that 50% of all the people in the workforce in 2019 said that they were unwilling to talk about mental health issues in their workplace because of the stigma of their colleagues. Oh, that person's depressed, right? Yikes. Or, oh, they deal with anxiety and have to have medication, right? 
So many people in our society deal with mental health issues, and I promise you that everyone in this room knows someone close to them that has dealt with mental health. If you have not yourself. Quinn, can you put on the screen a, a couple statistics for us? So I'm going to start with, uh, uh, let's go to the actual the image one. So you can hear, see here that 45 uh, people, uh, and people, the stigma is carried with that, that people delay their treatment. And it's, and it's estimated that 11, they delay it by 11 years from the signs, like symptoms of like anxiety or depression or bipolar disorder or, or some of those things, that they delay seeking help for 11 years because of that stigma. And only 45% of the people that estimate that have mental health get support and treatment. 66% of the people with serious mental illness. 51% of the youth who deal with mental health will only get support from a professional. And yet, if you look at the population numbers of those who uh, have counseling, I mean, it just goes on. And kind of go on to the next slide. And the, the biggest thing is that if you deal with this, you're not isolated and you're not alone. One in five adults in the United States deals with mental health. One in 20 serious mental health. 17% of our youth. And then you can go on to see some of the ones that people have from anxiety, depression. Quinn, you can go on to the next slide. 46%, oh, take off the key, chroma key, Quinn, there you go. 46% of the people who die by suicide have been mental health conditions. And while I know that every one of us knows someone that has mental health challenges in their life, I also know that most of us have a friend of a friend, if not a close friend, that has died by suicide. And yet it's the most isolating thing in our society. We may not have purity laws and rules anymore, but we carry it in our culture, don't we? Perhaps you're an adult who carries the visual marks of scars of cutting in your adolescence. Reminders that you can never hide from. The point being is that Jesus wants all of us to know that the stigma is gone that you are welcome into community. I'm saying all of these things within the context of the church because when I started going to church in high school, and granted it was in the early 2000s when I was in high school, graduated in 2003, showing my age, but there is still a prominent viewpoint within the church that if you have these issues, just go to Jesus. Just pray about it. Right? As if you could just control it with that. And don't get me wrong, praying is always of value and importance. But so is supporting one another. And so is seeking professionals that can help us 
along the journey. Come on, if you can go uh, to the last slide. And knowing what you know and what you don't know, the one image one. And so knowing, for example, who to call in case someone is showing signs of suicide ideation. Many people deal with suicide ideation, and it is normal for people to experience that, and yet it is serious that we must take concern to it because it is not okay because we want to support them in it. And so if you know of people that are dealing with this, one, it's okay to know, but two, know where we can go, the resources we have. Just like medical doctors, we have uh, professionals, even here at the church, that can support us. Daniel, for example, who plays in the choir, who has a, a beautiful piece after the sermon that the choir will sing. I mean, he works with people in this field. He has a social work degree as a licensed clinical social worker. You can reach out to me. I am not a clinical professional. I know of clinical resources. I can pray with you, but I can only meet with you so far. And the, the reason why I think all of this is especially hits home with me is that there are so many of us that are just looking for that same experience that this paralytic man was a feeling of being at home as we are. Even in our challenges around mental health. The, the welcome embrace of your, it's okay to not be okay. I was listening to a podcast uh, earlier this week, and it was talking about the church. And it's talking about how the church loves to say, everyone's welcome. We don't mind. Sinners are welcome in this place. The people that are challenged, the messy lives, we're all welcome until they show up with their messy lives, right? And then it's like, oh, are we really welcome here? And, you know, we have our uh, pride flags that we have as people come in. And one of the reasons I feel like that is so important in the sanctuary is that 41% of LGBT youth deal with suicidal ideations. 41%. Transgender adults are nine times more likely to commit suicide. Nine times. So when we say you're welcome in this space, we better mean it. And when I say you're welcome in this place, I mean it. You don't have to have life together. You don't have to have everything figured out. And it doesn't matter who you are or what your background is or who you love or how you express yourself. You are welcome in the embrace of God's love. And I don't think it's a sin. Right? I don't think it's sinners, right? Like Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. I don't think it's about that, but it is to say your stigma is gone here. You can be in this community and not have to worry about what people think. 
And that's the sort of love that we ought to embody, the same love that we saw these men that dealt with the paralytic who were willing to risk being seen as risky to support their friend. So if you don't deal with mental health, you are called to go and to help and to stand alongside others and don't give them the trite answers and don't try to fix their problems, but know the resources and know that it's okay to not be okay. And then also know that when conversations of self-harm happen, get support and help. It doesn't mean you have to call the police, but you can call someone that knows what to do. You can call uh, the people that will come and they'll just check to make sure they're okay, like the family services. You can call the hotlines and say, what do I do? Dial 988 and say, my friend is talking about this. How can I help them? Let us all choose to either believe the truth that's said over this man who lay before Jesus. Remember the, hey guys, you are good in this place. And let us be like those friends that carried their buddy, that bore his burdens so that he might not feel isolated anymore could feel part of a community, could feel whole. Friends, that's the hope of the church, I think. All are welcome here. You are good, even in your challenges. It is okay to not be okay. Because God's love is for us. God's love is with us. And God calls us to do the same with one another. I invite you to pray with me. Holy and gracious God, we thank you that you see deeper than the outside needs that we carry. that you see our desire to be whole and to be welcomed in community, even in our flaws, even with our challenges. So we pray today that we might be sort of a, that sort of a community here at this church and then in our homes and in our social groups. And we pray for those that we know and those of us that have struggles with mental health issues, that we might have your Holy Spirit guiding friends to our side to support us and to be with us, that your Holy Spirit might lead us to the professionals that can help us along the way. And let us all be more aware to the hurt and the pain that people experience, especially those in our society that already feel like they're outside of it. Your heart is with them and draw ours to theirs as well. Amen.